Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue through the book of Acts, uh, we start here today in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, where again we're reminded that each and every day what this new church did was they met at the existing temple. They met with people who had either newly come to faith or they were meeting with people who had always grown up, quote-unquote, going to church. That there was a mix of people here at the temple. And that what Peter and John did on a daily basis was they showed up. Here we get this little time marker that they showed up for afternoon prayer, which happened at 3. Morning prayer happened at what we call 9 o'clock in the morning. Their midday prayer at 3. And then the third time they would go to the temple and pray during the day was at sunset. And so because that time changed, that time, um, because of the sun setting at different times of the year, their time to go to the temple obviously changed throughout the year. So 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock were the two times, no matter what the light looked like, the faithful met at the temple to pray. And that's the time marker that we get here. So Peter and John have met at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and here we get this idea that there is something that is about to happen Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that there was a man who was crippled from birth. Now think about that. I don't know if you know anyone who's been wheelchair bound their entire life. Maybe somebody that uh, on an early uh, age developed multiple sclerosis and have had walker canes to help. Maybe, maybe they were born without uh, their spine finally fusing, and, and so they've just not been able to walk. I, I don't know if you know anyone like that, but it's an incredible, incredible undertaking for the family to take care of them on every single day basis. You know, there are times in our lives where we've got moms and dads that may lose uh, the use of legs or have a, a foot amputated and, and they go into a wheelchair and, and it becomes a challenge to take care of them in their last years. The reason I'm painting this picture this morning is because I want you to identify with this crippled man. I want you to understand that from birth, he has had to be reliant upon the people around him. From birth, he has not been able to move on his own, and so people have had to move him into place. He has had to rely on the charity, the mercy of people that came to the temple every single day. There is not a day in his life where he honestly lived in such a way where he said, I am self-reliant. And that concept is incredibly foreign to us. Most of us were raised, right, by our parents. Hey, study hard, get good grades, and, right, you work hard, you'll receive the benefit. You show up on time, your employer will appreciate it. The idea from day one with kids seems to be be self-reliant, be responsible. And yet even when our infants, right, our little one or infants and they can't do anything on their own. For those first months, for those first years, we feed, we diaper, we clean the mess. 
So we know what it's like to actually take care of someone. But once they get to a certain age, what do we say? Can't you go to the bathroom by yourself for crying out? Can't you dress yourself for crying out? Can't you get your breakfast by yourself? Do I have to do everything for you? We value independence, self-sufficiency, being able to take care of it on your own. Which is why in our society it is so challenging when you get cancer. Well, I feel bad asking if somebody will sit with me. Well, I feel bad if I ask somebody to clean my house. I just don't really have the energy. You know, my husband's going to take the kids around and gosh, there's just not enough hours in the day. Who's going to do the lawn? And so we, we can't stand asking for help. foreign. And so when Pastor Dyer said, well, aren't we going to do life together? Aren't we going to share and, and, and just share food and share uh, activities and share time together? There is a portion of our inner soul that grates against that and says, well, wait a minute, where's my time? My space? When do I not have to deal with doing life with anybody? And so our text this morning, it's going to remind us that what God has in store for us is for us to do this together, together in Jesus' name. That it's by that name, that name alone, that we have life. It's by that name alone that we have a food on our table. It's by that name we have a house, a home, a family, kids, job, retirement. That it's by the name of Jesus that we have all our entire being. And this story with the crippled man from birth reminds us of this. He was sat at the gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Doesn't that grate against us too? What are they doing near the church? Those people that need a handout and those people who, who need help. And oh, we see the signs, well, traveling through, need gas money, uh, need food, uh, mom with a daughter. You know, I mean, we, we, we see these signs and we, we grate at it. We try to figure out how do we respond. My mother-in-law flew in uh, to town last weekend and, and she said, what? I swear, the homeless people in the town that we know of, call the priest and find out what he's preaching on that Sunday. Because the Sundays he leaves us with, now go remember and take care of the poor. They stand on our corner of the church. And I'm feeling guilty, she says. I've just heard him say, take care of the poor. And here they are, lined up on our street corner. And I've, oh, do I handle them? Do I not? So there's tension, I, I get it, I, and I'm wanting us to understand, I'm wanting us to feel this this morning, that one, we're no different than the crippled beggar from birth. Do you understand this? From sin, 
From the moment you were conceived, sin has consumed you and broken the relationship that God wants for you. You are not perfect. You are ailing. From the moment of your birth, you've been dying because of sin. It affects our emotional relationships. It affects our physical bodies. It affects our theological relationship with God. Sin taints everything and leads us to death. This is why the crippled man from birth is no different than us today. No different. He relied on his family and his friends to bring him to the temple gate. He relied on the generosity and the mercy of those coming to worship to provide for daily bread. He saw Peter and John about to enter. He asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him. You know why? Think about it. When you're driving and there's someone standing on the street corner and you are not going to give them something, where do you look? Straight ahead. Or all of a sudden, you've just gotten a mysterious text. I've seen people fake it. I've been in cars with people faking it. Uh, there's a text I'm reading right now. I can't even see the person to the left who's standing. No, what Peter does is he looks him in the eye. Because the man matters. Sociologists have told us this for a long time. If you will avert your eyes, what you're basically telling the person that you just averted your eyes from is that they're not worthy enough to look upon. This is why when you're fighting with your spouse, right? Right? They're, they're, they're going at it, giving you the business, and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I know, mm-hmm, I know. You're, you, you are. You're looking. You're not worthy to look upon at this moment. And so you look up. Peter looks at him and then says, look at us. And what he's saying to this man is, we're in relationship with you. I'm going to look you in the eye and I want you to look me in the eye because there's nothing between us. There's nothing different about you and about me. What Peter's saying to this beggar, to this man born crippled, is that you are no different from me. Oh, sure, I walked around with Jesus. Sure, I've been entrusted with a high, heavy calling as his apostle to proclaim the gospel. But you, crippled beggar, we're brothers. There's no difference. And Christians, I've said it before, I'll tell you again, we cannot afford to think that we are somehow different from the lost with whom we engage. We aren't. We're the same. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them, and boy, did he ever. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. It's one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture. Silver and gold? I don't have it. Extra home for you to rest in? I don't have that. 
Extra clothes? Nope. Wear the same shirt, boots, and jeans every Sunday. What I do have, I'll give you, Peter says. It goes like this. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, there's like three people that want to join me here. So the rest of you... Hey, I'm going to give you a pass this morning. I'm not going to make you stand up and do it for the jumping motion. You can practice that in the quiet privacy of your own home. Okay, but I I want some singing and clapping this next time that it is. Because you need to know this story. Because this is the point. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. You can at least do the head motion. Come on. Walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, the the whole point of this story, the whole reason this was written in Holy Scripture is one, we are the crippled man. And there is nothing more in life that we need than to be able to be healed by Jesus Christ. And that healing, friends, comes in forgiveness of sins. Here, yeah, the story is is that a crippled man from birth who hadn't walked was able to stand, rise, walk, leap, praise God. And he immediately says, is our God not just awesome or what? And I know many of you have prayed for cancer to be gone and completely healed. And sometimes God has said, "Mm, um, no, not now. And debilitating, painful diseases where you wish, you pray you would die. And God says, mm-hmm, no, no, not yet. And others of you, it's not just physical, it's emotional. Emotional pain, uh, family members that have, that have left you on the wayside, who have, who have disowned you, and, and you say, God, I want you to fix that in my life. And he's, no, not yet. sin. I mean, and Paul says, I was given a thorn. Three times I asked the Lord to remove this. But no, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And there again, we get the picture, right? That God's number one thing in this life is forgiveness of sin. It's the sin that so easily entangles. It's the sin in our lives that keeps us from running with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Oh, I know, as a God, if I were uh, thinner, right? If I were in more shape, I could run more, do around, I'd have more energy, I could do this and that. Some of you have been praying, God, if I could be younger, I'd, I'd start over again, I'd do it better this time. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for physical healing. It is not. You pray the desires of your heart, the psalmist says. But I want you to understand that that what this man from birth who was born crippled is acknowledging is that the power to be changed and transformed comes by one name and one name only. And that is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
It's in that powerful name that demons run and flee. It is by the name of Jesus Christ that prayers are answered. It is by that name, Jesus Christ, that on the last day, every tongue will confess, yep, that's Jesus, and every knee will bow in humble adoration of God. And the forgiveness of sins is exactly what I need. And it's exactly what you need. And if God says, Dyer, you're not getting free of this temptation, or Dyer, you're going to have this illness or sickness, then I will say, God, then give me the strength and courage to bear under that each and every day, and forgive me for my unfaithfulness. Forgive me when I am discouraged. Forgive me when I want to end it. And he says... Done. Done. This is Peter's sermon, right? He says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, this guy that that made this man walk, it's not by our power. It's not by anything special in us, Peter says. It's by Jesus Christ, you know, the one you crucified. The one who, if you had been the only person on this earth with sin, Jesus would have died for you so that you could live eternally with him forever. And you crucified him. We read that text and we say, I crucified Jesus. And it's that same Jesus that says, David, stand up and walk. Walk in my ways. Walk in my grace. Walk in my blessing. Don't keep walking the way you've been walking. Don't do your own thing. Do it how I have it set before you. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. Do you understand that our most powerful witness in this earth is not that we can articulate an argument? That our most powerful way of of making an impact in this world is not about convincing people with mental gymnastics or proof texts that our most convincing way of sharing the gospel is to live it. When somebody says, huh, I knew you when you were younger and you act different. Try being the siblings of a pastor. My sisters still, to this day, we're going to family reunion here in a week, and I'm getting ready for the conversation, because they still, to this day, they just shake their heads. They're like, only by God's grace are you a pastor, because we were there when. And I want you to know that's humbling. I want you to know that that's real, because my family knows me. And it is only by the grace of God 
that I stand before you. It is only by Him that I am able to preach. It is only by Him that I can read Scripture and, and understand it and then be able to present it in a way that have people go, oh, I've never thought of it that way. It is only by His grace that I enter the throne room of God day in and day out on your behalf praying for you, over you, and with you. This is not my power, but God's. Verse 21, he must remain in heaven until the time he comes to restore everything. Our bodies to health. Our minds in full peace. Our souls forever, forever in worship of God. And friends, I know it seems like a long time until God would bring all of that around. I know many of you are struggling Everything physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually. I know you're struggling, but I'm telling you, His day, the day of His return, is soon to come. And it is not in your own power that you will wait out for that. It is not by your own strength that you will endure through. You can't just keep trying harder. That's not what God says. He says, walk with me. And the appropriate response is to be leaping and praising God for all that He has done. My prayer is that those around you would know by the pure joy in your life, by the transformation of your heart, mind, body, and soul, that there is a God in heaven that makes a difference. To his name, to his honor, and for his glory. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord strengthen your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us home. Amen. Life with us. But folks, now the step is to live that life together with an open chair or two for those that are outside of you. And I will guarantee you that we will see wonderful and miraculous things by God's grace. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord strengthen your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us all home. Amen.